Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Almighty Podcast. This is Adam from the Back Patio Network, and, and as always, I'm joined by... Mike Atkins, the interrupting cow, apparently. Um, Mike <laughs> Atkins from Nerds on Earth. It's been a uh, pleasure to have you back, man. I love this. Every week we get to sit down... We talk a little bit about uh, My Hero, whether it's My Hero Academia or Vigilantes, and uh, you know our fans out there get to listen. And if you guys are listening, we'd love it if you told a friend. Uh, tell a friend, leave a review on iTunes, something along the lines of that. It would be awesome. It'd mean a whole lot to us. Uh, it would help us out a whole lot. Yeah, follow us on Twitter, at um, AlmightyPod. Uh, come and join the Discord. We... Uh, we like engaging in conversations there as well. Um, it's it's not every single day that people are chit-chatting back and forth in there, um, but we're always watching and, and we're quick to respond. Uh, and sometimes we, you know, seed silly memes or share pictures or poll yeah, the audience. The Hagakure picture today was really nice. The, oh, yeah, on the Twitter? Yeah. My racy Hagakure picture? It was her, her birthday today, huh? Yeah, so I, you know, I figured it was just appropriate to post her in her birthday suit, you know? <laughs> that would have been a better... Like tagline, to, like than what I actually posted on that picture. But oh well, it's fine. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta convince Twitter to let us edit tweets. Yeah. Oh yeah. That, there's never. That's never gonna happen. That's no. that's a disaster waiting to happen. Yeah. No joke. And that's exactly what the uh, CEO of Twitter said. I'm pretty sure when that was brought up once. It, it definitely is frustrating. But the the number of times that I'm like, ah oh, man, I have to delete this tweet and then retype it is so significantly low compared to the number of times that people would abuse the power to edit tweets. Right. That is just, the world is a better place. The world is not a great place, but the world is a better place because you can't edit tweets. <laughs> that one small thing. That's right. So we so have, this week, we've got a couple more chapters of Vigilantes. We've been really digging this. Yeah, and I, I kind of uh, was talking to a couple of the guys in the Discord the other day. Um You know, one of them is like way deep in Vigilantes, is way ahead of where we are. Um and then another was like, he never really jumped in on it because it was just a spinoff or an offshoot. And he wasn't really interested in um, just having us talk about it positively is kind of sparked his curiosity. So if you're in that camp, you know, if, if you've, you know, are just like, ah, it's my hero, but it's not really my hero. Uh, I hope that you hear Adam and I speaking very highly of this. It is, it is remarkably good. It's a lot better than I thought it was going to be if I'm, if I'm being totally honest. Yeah, and these chapters actually, they really like sparked my interest in this series just because it involves some characters that I really, really like. So I'm excited to see where we take this, and it looks like we've got about 60 more chapters because they're like up to 76, I think. Yeah, I think that's about right. I think the newest, the, yeah, the newest chapter out is in the mid-70s because I think uh, I saw actually the 79. cover for it or something. Yeah, the most recent one's 79. There you go. So are these still weekly, or are, is this on like a sort of a different kind of schedule? Um, I don't know. I, I'm consuming this strictly by the buying the available mangas, and I have no idea what runs in Shonen Jump anymore either. So That's true. Yeah, me either. It's been a long time since I've gotten a Shonen Jump in the mail. I mean, the, the mangas still say shonenjump.com and that have the Viz Media and the Shonen Jump logos, so I'm assuming that they have a presence within those mediums, but... Did you see no there guarantees. was a, one of our chapters, there is a character that's reading Shonen. I think it's when, uh, it's in chapter 10 or 11, I think, when the three kind of ruffians that uh, we've encountered yeah. earlier on, they, they bring the lizard guy a Shonen jump to read. And I was like, I wonder if he reads about himself. Yeah, it was very meta. <laughs> it was super, like, or, or if he reads about like Naruto or something, you know? Yeah, I wonder what the, what the content of Shonen Jump is 
in a Shonen Jump magazine within a Shonen Jump manga. Like right. What what are they reading? Like you say, Naruto or One Piece, or is there completely different stuff? And this is a really deep rabbit hole right now. <laughs> it is, but it could also be one of those things where it's like the exact opposite. They're reading about our world, you know? Man, they would be... Oof. Super bored. Like <laughs> No, they, yeah, they, they would be like, when did this turn into a horror story? <laughs> right. Things yeah. got dark real fast. <laughs> real fast. <laughs> <clears throat> well, anyways, I say we just go ahead and jump right into uh, chapter nine. Uh, this one was called... You know, Judgment. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it up to you because you always have the title, so I did not write it down. Yeah, episode nine is entitled Judgment in the manga. Okay, awesome. And Judgment, it kind of weirded me out. I thought I had missed something because it opens up with uh, this guy that looks like the thing from a couple chapters ago smashing up a bunch of buildings. And I was like, hold on, did like, because the last chapter ended off with Koichi and Pop kind of having some moments, you know, with uh, the hoodie. And then there's this thing attacking. Like, there was no, you know, segue really yeah i had the same feeling too but like i don't know five or six panels in pop step is basically like you know either he maybe he escaped or they let him out or he posted bail um and so he's he's back on the streets yeah and she says that uh i guess you're not an official villain without multiple quirk related offenses just one doesn't count so here this guy is again and his name's akira iowako uh, you know, like I said, he looks just like the thing. Yeah, and it and does he's in say, there just wrecking stuff. And it does say right up under his name too. It says suspended sentence for assault and destruction of property. So they basically mm-hmm. just, uh, you know, let him go. Essentially, they were just like, ah, you know, get out of here. And I think that may be what uh, what led to that comment from Pop Step about, you know, I guess they don't really consider you an, a, a a real villain. You know, somebody worth detaining unless you do this multiple times. And then. Uh, Koichi is just like, well, we're gonna let's go stop him before he does even worse stuff. And Pop Step's like, why are you always on the side of the bad guys? Um, yeah, because you remember he was trying to find a way for those uh, the the three slide and glide brothers uh, to legally acquire used panties, um, right? <laughs> like trying to help them out. I, that's how I see it. Is like, hey, there's a way to do this and not be bad guys. Just do it that way. Yeah, I don't think Koichi's necessarily making the case that he doesn't want this man arrested or stopped, but no. he's he's also he's trying to he's trying to limit damage done not just to people and property but to this guy. You know, I think that that's a noble aim. You know, you want to stop somebody before they do something worse. Um, definitely. And, and I think that's he, fine. Definitely. And I think he also has this kind of outlook of these people need help. I mean, they're taking drugs, right? It's not like they're just villains there are people taking drugs that are then doing bad things that you know caused by the drugs influence so yeah and we find out that he's on a different cocktail of trigger um because we we check in with queen b uh honey i think that's what i decided i was going to call her yeah because of that creepy business suit man um on, on the tinder date that was super awkward um but yeah he she rather is on the phone with who whoever is behind the scenes on all this. I still don't think we have any concrete clues to who that is, right? I don't like we haven't so. seen a reveal no. or anything. I mean, do we know that it's the Chiha Saikai, just you and I? Because I assume that it's them that's behind all this since we've watched My Hero. Yeah, you know, I hadn't had that thought. That could be that could be true. I but they were working he... with the opposite drug. You know, they were working for the one that strips uh, your quirk away. But I think the original idea was to have one that beefed them up, too. Yeah. So, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I, mean, I guess... They, they had they prob- some of that beefy 
was it called Trigger? Now I don't remember. I don't remember either. It's been a while, but I feel like they had something like this because they were taking drugs that were enhancing their quirks. Yeah, definitely. So, I don't know. I did like the fact, though, that this uh, villain knows the crawler's name. It made the crawler pretty happy. Yeah, the crawler was pretty psyched about that. He's, he's like, (laughs) stopping mid-fight to brag to Popstep. He actually called me the crawler. Yeah, and it's really funny, too, because he's trying to fight this guy, and he, I mean, he knows he can't fight, so he leads him away, and he's like, hey, Pop, like, call for backup. Like, you know, I'm just gonna uh, pretty much keep him distracted, and this guy's ramming the ground so hard that it starts to break up, and it causes Koichi to lose his balance and not use be able to use his quirk. So the thing is about to just absolutely take out Koichi when this, like, ninja stops him. I mean, it's really cool because there's a panel where Koichi is, like, on the ground about to get hit. And the punch is, you know, you're waiting for the punch to blow any moment. And then there's a panel with the ninja in between, and he's, like, stopped it with his sword. It's a pretty cool little scene. Yeah, Koichi hits a pothole, basically. Um, yeah, so I comes, guess his three-point contact has been removed. Yeah, yeah, he dents his rims uh, and is about to get punched in. And then this guy that looks like a um, a mashup of uh, Genji from Overwatch and Vega from Street Fighter drops in and oh, yeah. interposes I himself. Ninja Gaiden. Do what? I said, yeah, that's that's a good one. I was thinking Ninja Gaiden. Yeah, he does. He does look a little bit like Ryu as well. Um, but he he drops in, blocks the thing with his sword, and his his design is really cool, except for the fact that it struck me as like super odd that on his chest he's got several folding knives. And I was just like, that is such a weird design decision to put a bunch of folders on, uh, you know, like most people, if you're wearing a knife on a tack vest or something like that, it's going to be a fixed blade knife that you could just deploy in a single movement and not two. Um, yeah. But he's got a bunch of pocket knives just like, I mean, they look like the cheap ones that you can get for like t- 12 bucks at Walmart, you know? Yeah. And that's um, the weirder thing too, is because he uses them to like, like he almost uses uses them like throwing stars. But yeah. And maybe people he's that just, throw knives would never, ever use that kind of a knife, I don't think. No, because the weight on the weight d- uh, distribution, the distribution on those things weird, is terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But maybe he's so. just, you know, trying to be a vigilante on a budget. Um, <laughs> so, you know, all he could do is go, equ- he spent all his money on the mask and that sword because the sword is very much real. The sword is pretty cool. So I guess this poor guy goes home and like eats ramen for the week because he had to buy all these blades. Yeah, that's right. So he introduces himself as Stendhal. He ends up, um, throwing these uh, knives like into or at the thing after he kind of gets some space between them um, and introduces himself as Stendhal. The the rock guy kind of runs off after he takes a couple of slashes from the sword. Yeah, and the cops show up too, so I think that didn't help. Yeah, he didn't want to get caught, and so he uh, he jumps out of there, um, but, but he will be back. We kind of transition out of that alleyway back up to the the creepy rooftops uh, apartment of Koichi. Is it? I mean, it's not an apartment. Let's call it what it is. It's a storage it's a, container. I mean, um, it's his house. Technically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he uh, he's he's elated. And this is, again, another scene where it's really funny that Koichi is like, he goes really domestic when he's happy. You remember like when he got the card from Ida oh, that yeah. he was like cooking a meal and stuff. And he was really happy, and now he's the same thing. He's like, "Hey, man, uh, you know that he, he was really cool. We met this really cool guy, and he's happy, and he, he looks like he's cooking again. He's got an apron on and stuff." So I wonder if, like, Koichi's happy mode is just being really domestic male of some kind. That's, that's really funny. Like he goes around cleaning and taking care of the house. Yeah, I like is, this too because he's he's talking about Stendhal and Knuckle Duster. Just has this super annoyed look. 
Yeah, I think I mean Knuckle Duster. He gives me some uh, some jealous vibes sometimes, you know. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you can tell. Uh, and I don't like this whole scene here was kind of weird because Pop Step gets a text from Wolverine and Cyclops again, and yep. they want her to meet their legendary senpai, which I guess was this legendary quirk handler guy from their middle school that's already graduated. And apparently he's known for being good in a fight. So I guess, are I wasn't sure, are they wanting him to team up with the vigilantes? I think that, yeah, that's their their thinking is that he could be a potential recruit, maybe. Gotcha. Um, in the, at the very least, he was like, they, they, they told him, this is uh, Pop Step kind of retelling these text messages. She says, they told him about us and he is eager to meet up. So he wants to meet them. Right. Knuckle Duster doesn't like the idea of this, though, because he says guys who use justice as an excuse to pick fights are nothing but trouble. Dangerous, really. That's just common sense. <laughs> and Koichi's like, no, it's just hmm, common sense. That's great. <laughs> so this mysterious senpai is uh, the echidna that we've uh, from the trio of friends that we keep running into over and over again, the spiky boy. Yeah. So his name is like Suga Kuzukaki, I think. Uh, uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> I've got it written not, down a handful. It's not on the page of, that I'm staring at. Right. I've got it written down a handful of times in my notes, but uh, he is uh, obviously not going to be super happy whenever they meet up and it's the guys that he was trying to kill in the first chapter. They are the ones that aren't happy. In fact, Pop well, that's Step, what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Pop Step <laughs> sees this guy and says, it's the rape and murder man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And she's Which, not, I mean, I don't blame she's her. Incorrect, really. No, she's not. I, like, I would be freaking out too. And he's immediately offended, as if he didn't do those things. He's like, whatever. No use talking to these clowns, anyways. And I, I just, I was shocked by that. It's like, what would he have expected otherwise? Yeah, I don't know. Um, but he he stalks off. He seems kind of annoyed by that. How that went down. I'm sure he had expectations. You know, he's about to meet these famous vigilantes in the area only to find out that he's known them and has sexually assaulted one, yeah. you know, and spent a day terrorizing the other. So why would <laughs> yeah. he be impressed by them anymore? You know, That's true. Um, That's true. he had, he, the last, the at least early on, especially without knuckle duster there, you know, he has proven to be more than a match for them, especially off, off of the trigger. So he's, he's unimpressed and annoyed and he, he just walks off. Well, we get this awesome scene between Stendhal and uh, the thing, as I'm going to continue to call this villain. Uh, the, this guy's running off, and all these knives just got like stabbed into his eyes and then stabbed into his back, and Stendhal is walking down this corridor after him. And uh, he pretty much is talking about triggering his eyes so that way the, the quirk would go away. And he, he says that he's a sinner because he has no conviction. And he says that power wielded without conviction amounts to a crime. And when crime shapes the man underneath, that is what we call a villain. And then he just slices this guy in two. I mean, it was crazy. Yeah. And uh, there's like blood splatter all over the place. Uh, and yeah, he's, he's very punishery right here. Yeah, when he sure. says, this is your judgment. Or, or I guess that could also be ghostwritery a little bit, uh, the way that he phrases that. And then this stuff happens... You, we need to talk about this because um, so what what happens is Queen or Honey is there, um, and she's she's given him these these pictures of the three dudes, um, the three guys from the gang that have been harassing uh, 
Koichi and Pop Step. Um, and then that's kind of the end of this chapter. We get into 9.5, which I want to talk about. But we, we also find out, I'm going to jump ahead just a tad, um, but we find out that Honey has kind of entered into this like contractual almost arrangement with Stendhal where he he does something for her and then she gets this this blood for him. Um, and it's, uh, I don't, I think that that's a really weird arrangement given who Stendhal is. So let's, let's start moving in that direction. I just want to plant that seed. Don't let me forget to talk about that. Okay. All right. Um, so 9.5 was really fun. Yeah, it is fun. And there's a huge like Easter egg here that should have been incredibly obvious to me and was not. And I'm so glad that you pointed it out. Yeah. I asked Adam right before we started recording. Um, and we were just kind of glancing over all the chapters. I said, did you notice that 9.5 is just Stendhal versus the Avengers? And he was like, what are you talking about? And it's literally, it's, it's set up as like a, almost like another mafia or, um, uh, like Yakuza group, but you've got a guy that has a big coat with a star on it. And he, he, he's fond of picking up, uh, manhole covers and using them as a shield or a weapon, like a, a thrown weapon. Um, and then he, they're sitting in this boardroom, Stendhal jumps in and just starts laying waste to these guys, or at least fighting them. He throws a knife at one dude who puts on Hulkbuster armor. Like it looks just like, uh, what did what, what did he call that uh, that armor in Ultron? It had a girl's name. Um, did it? I thought it was called the Hulkbuster. It, well, it is, but he had a name for it. Now, Victoria, that might have been it. Is um, that it? I don't remember. I don't, but I don't his remember. name in this is Tetsu the Tank, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and then one of the other guys uh, has a giant like sledgehammer, and he's wearing construction gear. Yep, obviously, Soji Thor. The and then yeah. there's a, a Hulk-looking guy that's kind of got like the big masculine muscles and the darker like green looking skin and a big cigar in his mouth. His name is Harahusia, the bare handed. Yep. Um, and so they, they start and then he, of course you have the Captain America guy who's grabbing his manhole cover to throw over at Stendhal, but Stendhal in the middle of this, as everybody's kind of charging up to fight, he pulls his mask up a little bit and looks down at one of his, uh, greaves. And there's four little pieces of look, they look like band-aids. They might yeah. be band-aids, but they're like upside down where the cloth part is sticking up. Mm-hmm. Um, and he licks his tongue across them. And as soon as he did that, I got real happy because yep. that was all the reveal that was needed. The The author and writer, um, Furuhashi, knows what he's doing. This is this is Stain pre-Stain. This is Stain trying to be the good guy. And, and we knew that he had gone through this period of his life, but we had no details. And now we know that this mysterious hero that's run around with a katana is stain and he uses his um his blood curdle quirk here he licks across all four of those little um dirty band-aids and then they all get paralyzed and he kills every last one of them it's pretty cool and you know i'm not too surprised like stendhal isn't too far away from stain so it's not and here's here's a a cool thing before we finish up 9.5 is a very short chapter um and it basically is just kind of getting to the point of explaining that relationship that he has with honey um, but I, I looked this up because we, we know and we love the naming conventions in My Hero Academia. Um, and we, we never really spent any time on Stain's actual name, um, but it's Chizome Akaguro. And I, I went and was looking at this, and I noticed in the, uh, in the trivia section, it kind of breaks down his name like it does for most of the characters in my hero that we've come across. And it says that his name has the kanji for red, black, blood, and of course, stain, right? 
Um, but it, that wasn't the name I was curious about, really. I wanted to know what Stendhal, what that had to do with anything, because that seems like such a strange word, and it didn't strike me as an American word at all, because that's a weird combination of consonants at the end of that, D-H in, in particular. Um, so I looked this up, and the best I could find was that there was a dude uh, whose last name was, or whose pseudonym was Stendhal. His name was Mary Henry Bale, uh, B-E-Y-L-E, Bale. And he had a book at one point that was called Le Rouge et Le, et Le Noir, which is French for the red and the black. So oh, wow. I think that that's the connection that's because, really like I said, far-fetched. it's really far-fetched, but that's the only plausible thing I could find is that he's named after he's, it's a pseudonym, which that's what Stendhal is. It's a, it's a superhero name, which is also a pseudonym, right? Um, and then he also has red and black in his name. And then red and black is the name of this book. It's the best I got. Um, if, if the naming convention is true, then this is true is, is what I'm suggesting. Yeah. I mean, that would make sense. That's just, you know, one of those really like, how do you even come up with that? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, maybe Horikoshi or, uh, it had to have been Horikoshi, maybe Horikoshi. Well, no, maybe Furuhashi did come up with the, the Stendhal, the Stendhal name. Yeah. That could be true. So maybe he's just big into whatever that was, 18th century French, you know, <laughs> I don't know what genre. a random thing to be studying yeah. though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's what he, you know, majored in, in college or something. Who knows? Yeah. Well, and, and after he kills these guys, we get that scene that you're talking about earlier where he meets up with uh honey, as you've called her and she calls him Stendhal, you know, and he's like, no, nah, it's not my name. You know, he, he is Stendhal has become more than human. And he's talking about how he's the red of life and the black of death. And he's the judgment personified. But when he takes off the mask, he's just like an ordinary dude. And, yeah, uh, and I love it because Queen B is like, yeesh, you're obnoxious. <laughs> <laughs> and there's that red and black again. Right. Uh, you know, the red of life, the black of death. He also kills, um, just for fun, right at the end, he kills the Winter Soldier and Hawkeye and Black Widow who rush in after they hear all the noise. Did he kill um, them or did he just incapacitate them? Uh, I mean, he definitely he definitely killed... I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure they're all dead. Well, because <laughs> the... At the end, they've got Bucky or, or Winter Soldier. He blocks it with his metal arm, and then the other two get like knives to the chest. But I don't know if there was a medical team by, they might have lived. I don't know. Bucky in the next panel over has the question mark exclamation point where Stendhal is saying, "I am judgment," and okay, then there's a big old splat. Them. That's true. You're <laughs> so not. I'm wrong. assuming I, that <laughs> he's a dead boy. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> there's no coming back from this one, Bucky. Yeah. So anyway, it, we, it, it turns out that um, Queen, Queen Bee slash Honey rolls up on this scene, sees this, and she's like, listen, um, you know, I got you these blood samples so that you could do this thing. Now I want you to do this thing for me. It's you scratch my back, I scratch yours. And she hands him these four Polaroids. One of them is the guy who turns into the thing uh, like a quirk dude that just that Stendhal just killed in the last chapter. And then the other three of the little ruffians that we've been following for however nine chapters now. Um, and it feels weird given what we know now that this is stain that he would just be like, sure, I'll just kill these guys, you know, without any, without any, he, he usually has a very a much more methodical or disciplined approach to stuff. I thought, yeah, no, I kind of agreed. I thought that was weird as well, but I, this is also like pre stain being stained. Cause I feel like after his run in with knuckle duster, his methodology changes. I think his, 
selection process changed. Yeah. I don't, I'm not sure that his methodology does because well, he's not, still not his methodology, like, but yeah, that's what I meant was like his, his selection process. Yeah. I mean, I mean, his targets do, he goes from targeting the villains to the heroes that he considers villains because they have, like he said in this chapter, power without conviction. Right. And he sees that and it, it, he, he basically copy and pastes that, uh, that disappointing, uh, fact about people. Um, about people wielding specifically uh, people who wield quirks, and he takes it from the villains and says, oh, heroes can be like this too. Therefore, they, even though society might consider them heroes, they are actually villains by my definition. And it's this definition. His definition doesn't change. Um, he just has his eyes open to the fact that it can apply to people who don't have a rap sheet and who are actually considered to be on you know the right side of the law, even though vigilantes aren't really. Uh, and that may be something that we talk about in a minute too. Yeah. And it may just be one of those things where like he viewed, you know, killing three randos is probably worth getting rid of these top villains. Maybe that's how he viewed it, which then in of himself would be a villain, I guess. But yeah. And I felt like that might've been, that was my best justification for it too, was it was a very much a means to an end kind of thing. Um, but I don't know. It just didn't fit with the way that I perceive stain in my brain. Um, so, uh, I, I struggle with that. It's, you know, if, so what, if it's imperfect, it's imperfect. It's fine. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it, cause Stendhal is still cool. Stain is still awesome. Uh, and he gives us a lot of, you know, when we, when we first covered Stain, number one, I think he was the reveal at the very end of the first season and that he had was. me super excited. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then the more time we spent with him, the more we spoke about him because he gives you things to think about. I mean, that's kind of his role um, and not just like narratively or literarily inside of these books, that's his role in the society that my hero takes place in is he is there to try to, um, to, to, to try to stir thought. Yeah, he blurs the lines between morality. Really? Yeah. He challenges the status quo is what he Absolutely. does. He says, listen, that's there's a, a status quo, but it's, it's busted up and I'm going to shine a light on it violently uh because no other language speaks um and you know we, we're shoot we're seeing some of that today you know where sure. you know the nonviolent, you know passive word stuff the stuff that he 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 kind of comes to a place where he's like hey listen killing these these scrubs in back alleys that's not doing that's not that's not speaking loudly enough i need to go after some of these top tier guys and we like he goes after ingenium you know right. or ingenium um so i mean that's a guy who's high profile i mean he's got a skyscraper of an office building we find out you know um he's he's high profile he's very and public hundreds of of uh people that work for him so yeah if something happened to him it would be all over the place yeah so he's just he's speaking loudly and carrying a very big katana um and so i i'm i'm glad that he's back i was super excited on that reveal when his tongue flashed out i immediately knew who it was and i immediately loved it to pieces yep yep i had the same thing in fact when i was reading that chapter i messaged you and i was like i think that this is hero killer stain what do you think and you're like yep 109 <laughs> percent yeah <laughs> i meant to put a hundred percent but you know i wasn't going to correct the nine i, no, I was I that mean, assured yeah absolutely well so we transition into episode 10 or chapter 10 uh, and it's called scream and this is what i was talking about earlier you've got soga kugazaki is his name oh Totally butchered that earlier. I'm sure I butchered it just then, but whatever. And <laughs> you've got a Moyuru Tochi, uh, and they're showing up to see their old pal Rapt Tokage. Uh, and something I wanted to mention real quick: 
or later on in the book, there is a behind the scenes where it talks about wrapped Tokage and his kind of like a uh, general drawing structure. And he's always got that jacket on because he's cold blooded, just like Sue. And I thought that was That's really cool. Fun. That's little, a fun little, like, you know, silly little thing that they decided to incorporate that feels really smart. And yeah. And I like that they just tell you, you know, it would, you know, it's gratifying to figure some of this stuff out on your own. But it's even neater when you realize that the artist is like, hey, I did this with intent and I want you to know about it because it's neat and nerdy and fun and cool. Yeah. So yeah. know it. I like it a lot. Here it is. It's really cool. But they're visiting him. He's in the hospital because of that trigger incident. Apparently, I I didn't even realize this, but whenever, I think it's in the first chapter, the second chapter, there's the guy that has all of the dolls, the hero dolls full of trigger, and he turned into that massive giant. Apparently, he, I guess, used trigger. And I say he, I mean, wrapped Tokage, and he turned into a massive flying dinosaur. And then whenever it faded away, he fell like feet, hundreds of feet, I would assume. It kind of reminded me of, if you've ever read House of M, the X-Men series, there is a, uh, at the very end of that, Scarlet Witch says, no more mutants, all the mutants lose their powers, and there is a, a mutant that just knew how to fly. He could turn into like a pterodactyl or something, and he fell from the sky, and it killed him. Yeah, I thought when he was talking about flying here, I thought that they were kind of picking fun at him because... uh the dude was picking it up and flying him like we would a Superman action figure back in our childhood. Right. Or, you know, if you do it today, that's fine. I'm not going to judge you, but you pick it up <laughs> and you just kind of swing it through the air in your hand. And that's what I thought they were making reference of. Did he have wings? I don't recall yeah, that. Yeah, they, they kind of reshow it uh, in a couple of series later, and it looks like he is being held by that guy. But then when he's let go, uh, I guess he's flying. Okay. I, I would assume anyways, because they it's not that that guy let him go and he dropped. It made They made it sound like the trigger wore off and his wings went away. Well, he also says that he was able to recover quickly, not just because he was a lizard, but because he was a lizard on drugs. So yeah. next time you, uh, you know, rip the tail off of a lizard, slip him a roofie, and he'll get over it real fast. I'm a lizard. I recover quick as he's smoking outside with his pals. Yeah. And I, I wondered, uh, like when he said that, I was like, does that mean that like... He's kind of got that Wolverine thing where Wolverine can smoke and drink as much as he wants because it doesn't hurt his oh, you know, his liver or yeah. his lungs. See, I was more worried if whether or not they lit those cigarettes with that guy's hair because yeah. the, <laughs> the larger guy has flames on his head. And they even yeah. make a reference that whenever he took the trigger, he looked more like Endeavor, which I thought was really funny because <laughs> he that doesn't look anything funny. like Endeavor. Uh, but then Soga asks them as they're standing there, he's like, hey, you know, you guys think you'd ever want to fly again? And so you kind of get the hint that he might be down to try some trigger. And because the other guys are like, no way, that thing almost killed me. There is no way I would ever do it. Yeah, it's um, they they leave the hospital or uh, or at least the Soga died. Soga guy does. Um, I, maybe the lizard, maybe Rapt is still uh, uh, admitted. And he's finding himself walking down this uh, alleyway and he runs into Honey who is, uh, recognizes him, I guess. Um, and she's like trying to tell him, trying to coax him into going and getting his other buddies. He's like, listen, you guys might be the target of this murderer who's killing all these, you know, back alley villains who have been on the drug. You might want to go get them just for your own sake. Um, and what we discover is, you know, obviously she's in cahoots with Stendhal, who's hiding in this alleyway, and she wants to basically get set it up so that he gets all three at once. 
Yeah, and I almost wonder if this was one of those things. I think what she was trying to do was test the trigger because what it's it, it seems like she's going to give him trigger no matter what. Stendhal's already there, and she knows he's highly capable. So she's trying to see if this trigger is good enough to fight off someone like Stendhal. You know, with a guy like Soga who is not nearly as experienced in fighting as Stendhal is, and then when his friends don't show up, she's kind of upset, and then she still offers him trigger. He doesn't take it, says he doesn't need drugs to take guys like this down, and she at that point freaks out and like forces it on him, and all these bees, this bee swarm comes out of her, her eye hole, and... It just wrecks him. I mean, there's probably easily a thousand stings, I would assume, with that trigger in it. So he beefs up. And we get this kind of neat background story here, too, because as she's running away, she's got this really creepy smile on it. And it just kind of triggers Soga to have all these thoughts of growing up and people blaming him for being a villain, just, I guess, because of his quirk. Yeah, part of it seemed like like there's one scene in particular, it looked like it might've been the first time his quirk manifested um, where, you know, it looked like there was just, you know, a backyard or like a school brawl and he punched a kid, but he had his little claws out. So this kid's back there crying. And there's another one that looks like he's much older. He's got his little tie on. So maybe he's in junior high and you could tell this time he knows, you know, in that first scene with the kid, it's like his claws, he's staring down at them like, what are these, where they come from? And in that next one, he's just like, listen, if, if this is who I am and this is what I've got, this is what I'm using. And he's like standing over somebody who he's clearly punched with his spiky knuckles. And um, so, yeah, we, we talked, I think really early on in this series as well about how certain quirks just get pegged as villainous quirks, like um, Shinso's, you know, that mind control thing. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it's, it's hard, I think as, fallible humans for us to sometimes see a quirk that could be used in a villainous way in any other light. Yeah. And I think that that's, I mean, he's got Wolverine's quirk kind of, uh, I mean, that's at least that's how he chooses to manifest it most frequently is with three knives sticking out of his knuckles. Yeah. Yeah. And he transforms into this like massive monster. He reminds me of, uh, there's a Pokemon in the most recent like sword and shield games um, its name is Obstagoon. I don't know if you've seen a picture of it or not. I'll send it to you in Skype. Okay. But he looks just like that. Uh, so okay. if you guys know what Obstagoon looks like, it's Oh, that. yeah, he does a bit. And I, I made the Wolverine comment, too, and I, I had the thought, I didn't want to squash uh, where you were ta- uh, going with the Pokemon idea, but, you know, for this guy to figure out how to become a hero like Wolverine, it's just, uh, you know be an actor in a PG-13 version of the X-Men. Uh, because <laughs> when, he, when he went R, he went R. Yeah. Now, Logan is great, though. It is easily the best X-Men movie ever made. Oh, f- yeah. Hands down. Fantastic, fantastic film. Uh, I wish that they had been able to get the rights to the Hulk to do the, the actual graphic novel. That would have been awesome. Yeah, that would have been crazy. Yeah, but yeah. That, that movie, oh, even then, without the Hulk, wild. was really good. So, yeah, the old man Logan stuff is super good. Yeah, but regardless of that, let's get back into my hero. Uh, we get this awesome fight between Stendhal and uh, Soga, and at least you think you're going to get a big fight until the crawler pops in, and he, you know, he had heard Soga scream, and he went after him, and he shows up, and he doesn't know what to do because he's like, "Well, hold on a second, you know, Stendhal's like he saved me; he's a good dude, and Soga is maybe not a great dude, but maybe doesn't deserve to die." So he's trying to break up this fight and uh, not being super successful with it at first. 
Yeah, he's he's very torn, and there's like this comical, almost Looney Tooney panel where he's looking at both of them simultaneously, which is indicative of him like swapping his his gaze between the two of them. Yeah, and he's like, "But wait, I, I know both of these guys, and you know, I was really impressed with Stendhal, and I'm supposed to be growing to like this guy who was totally a bully to me, but has been vouched for." And uh, Stendhal's just like stand aside, stand aside crawler. Uh, I'm, I'm, this villain is mine to slay. And then he, like, it looks like Koichi's kind of talking out loud, like, well, you know, we're gonna, maybe we could slow down and talk this out. And Stendhal does not hesitate. He just rushes in and slashes this dude straight across his chest. Yeah, and it looks like he is about to absolutely murder this man. And that's when Koichi realizes, like, oh, man, he's really aiming to kill. And so he uses his quirk and trips up Stendhal, or, or at least kind of trips him up. It looks like Stendhal recovers, but it's enough for him to be able to do a very heroic thing and grab Soga and put him on his back. And, I mean, this guy's got spikes coming out of everywhere. Like, he is obviously damaging Koichi when he does this. He's got him on his back and he's trying to slide away with Soga, save his life. And Stendhal starts throwing those stupid collapsible knives at him and hits him in the calves, which, oh man, you know, that's, that's gotta hurt. Yeah, but it doesn't slow him down really. He's able to keep, cause he just needs three points of contact still. Right. Um, so, and I don't know that it's really relying upon weight. It doesn't really get into that. Uh, so he's able to keep uh, zooming off, but he's leaving a trail of blood. And we know how Stain slash Stendhal likes to interact with that stuff. So he walks up, uh, sticks his fingers in it, licks it. Um, and then this is where we get, you know, just in case you missed it, this is Stain. Is He has the quirk blood curdle, which is what it was called back in My Hero Proper. Mm-hmm. Um, and Koichi gets paralyzed and falls down. And now Stendhal is standing over top of him with his sword drawn. Oh, man, and this is a wicked scene. It's, it's very reminiscent of when Stain was standing over top of... Um, it wasn't Bakugo, was it? It was uh, it was Midoriya, I think. Yeah, because I don't think Bakugo was... was he, he didn't interact fight? with Stain. No, it was... It was, it was, uh, oh, it was Todoroki. Uh, Todoroki. And, yeah. Yeah. So, but this is super reminiscent of whenever uh, Midoriya fought against Stain, and he's standing over Midoriya when he first paralyzes him. It was pretty freaky, and especially with this mask that he's got on, because it's occasionally kind of like transparent, and you can see these like really creepy smile and eyes in the background. Uh, but as he's sitting there talking about how you know the fact that Koichi helped save this villain means he's also a villain and going to have to die because he's a sinner. Out of nowhere, Knuckle Duster just shows up, like jumps off a building, lands in that hero formation and says, I'm here. And I mean, it's so cool. <laughs> it is super cool. And I, I did notice, too, uh, you, you pointed this out, but Stain says your day has come villains while he's standing over um, the Echidna guy and Koichi. Oh, like yeah. He's, he's made up his mind. He's like, Koichi, now, you, now you're one of them. I think he, he says in a panel, uh, even in an eight act of goodness becomes wicked in the aid of evil. Right. And so yeah. right then and there, Koichi's got a target on his whatever Stain wants to thrust his sword into. <laughs> it's weird how like almost immediate Stendhal made that decision. You know, I mean, it was just like, oh, okay, well, I saved your life. You were worth saving 30 minutes ago, but now you're not. It's pretty in- interesting. Yeah, and... Stendhal slash Stain is a very black and white guy. Like he's got his system and he is, he's got that conviction or zeal 
towards it. And so that's why it's that fast. There's no deliberating because his morals are black and white. It's if you are a villain, I am going to kill you. And villain, the the definition of that word is a lot broader for him than it is for most everybody else. Because again, his definition of villain includes heroes who act in ways that he considers villainous, like doing something that aids somebody who is, you know, the the more proper standard or uh, more widely used definition of villain, mm-hmm. which is what Koichi's doing here by trying to get uh, the Echidna man out of there. Yeah. Well, now that we've got Knuckle Duster on site, it's going to get real interesting uh, because immediately he's ready and rearing for this awesome fight. And, you know, I was really hoping for more of like, I don't, I don't want to say like, a huge battle royale or something, but the fight really only lasts a panel or two, which was kind of a bummer. I think too, that uh, you talked about his smile. There's part of me that thinks that he's super looking forward to punching this guy in the face just because Koichi said something positive about him. Oh, absolutely. He's ready to enact some serious, like jealousy vengeance on him. (laughs) Yeah. And he's got these huge, like, I don't, they're not really brass knuckles. I mean, they don't look like your traditional brass knuckles, but they definitely are some sort of contraption that like pegs around every single one of his knuckles. Yeah. And Stendhal says that he doesn't have any beef with him. He knows who this guy is. He's like, I have no quarrel with you. You walk with the path of justice. He actually calls him the vigilante of Narahuta. Yeah. So, I mean, he's completely aware of him. And so, uh, apparently. You know, he he gets it. There's a there is a uh, you know a respect, a mutual not mutual because obviously Knuckle Duster doesn't uh, reciprocate it. But right. there's a professional respect coming from Stendhal. Like, hey man, you do the same thing that I do. Respect. But uh, Knuckle Duster is just like, I'm a badass ally of justice, and you're just some mad slasher. I'm not getting out of the way. <laughs> um, yeah, this was awesome. Yeah, it's it's super awesome. Right. And so now it's like Batman versus Deathstroke a little bit. It definitely is. Yeah. Or even like Deadpool when he was first introduced. But I think he definitely has more of a Deathstroke feeling. That's a really good good observation there. Uh, and of course, you know, right backing that up, Knuckle Duster's already got like uh, Knuckle Duster's already got Stendhal kind of figured out because he's already figured out how far away he needs to be to keep Stendhal away from slashing him and how close he can get to be able to hit him and be able to get out fast enough. So he throws this rope and he's like, all right, you know, I'm a nice guy. So let's just make things simple. You can walk away quietly or you can cross that line. And when you do, you're going to eat a knuckle sandwich. And this is really interesting choice of a visual here to me because he's throwing, you know, it's that, that, that phrase that you just used cross the line isn't just in my opinion, referring to you step over this physical rope on the floor, but cross this line that I, as a vigilante respect, but you seem to be in violation of, Mm -hmm. you know, this ethical moral line killing folks. Um, because knuckle duster has not done that, that we're aware of. I mean, he beats the crap out of people, but he leaves them for the cops. Yeah. And there's actually a Uh, note from the author that says that exact thing. Oh, it does. Yeah. At the the end of the book, there's like a behind the scenes where he's talking about the kind of that moral dilemma that he has. And he mentions that Knuckle Duster often leaves his victims at least conscious. There you go. Or alive. Um, So he throws down this rope and he's like, you cross that line and and I'm going to whoop your butt. Uh, And of course, you know, 
Stendhal can't not cross it. In fact, he just straight up says, I will cross it. Um, and he's got a lot of confidence in his abilities to get in close. Um, but Knuckle, du- Knuckle Duster cheats because so cool. Stendhal basically gauges this attack based on the distance that's existing between them in that moment. So he rushes in, planning his move as if Knuckle Duster is going to stay where he is on his side of the line. But uh, Knuckle Duster doesn't. He cheats. Uh, and so he runs across this line and just obliterates Stendhal's face. <laughs> it's incredible. I mean, he punches him and the dude's flying backwards and his mask has come off and blood is going everywhere. And uh, Koichi is like, wow, didn't you just tell him not to cross the line? <laughs> and Knuckle Duster says, yeah, but the rule doesn't apply to me. Yeah. And then Knuckle Duster kind of goes on a, a little bit of a soapboxy discussion of hiding behind a mask. Um, so I want to read some of this because I thought it was really good. Guy wears a mask uh, to really sink into that role. You run into people like that now and then by putting on some costume or disguise, they convince themselves they're different than their everyday selves, making them immortal superhumans. And guys like that can be real trouble since they go charging in, ignoring common sense and safety. But when someone steps up to them instead, it turns out that they're fragile. And so he's, he's human too in the end. Uh, and I, I, I like that little discussion, especially because there is, there's, we get to see inside of Koichi's head while Knuckle, Knuckle Duster is saying all of this. And it shows Koichi standing in his All Might hoodie in front of a mirror. But what he sees is actually All Might. And so you get the sense that Knuckle Duster is, he's, um, he's teaching Koichi a lesson here. Like, listen, you put on that jacket you're, you're still vulnerable. You still need to be smart. You still need to think. Um, and he's impressing this lesson again. About, he, he even talked earlier in the same, uh, well, maybe it was another chapter, but um, about the importance of common sense, you know? Yeah. Uh, and this being an important element of it, like your, you know, your quirk or your get up, your guys, your alter ego, whatever you want to call it, you, you don't become something more than you actually are. So you need to, you need to be smart. Um, and, and so I really liked that, uh, that moment inside of the kind of the end of that fight is pretty cool. Yeah. It's not, it's not quite over yet, but, um, he, he had just enough time to, to squeeze, squeeze a little, uh, moral out of the story. It's a uh, knuckle dusters life lessons on the fly. Yeah. TM. Exactly. It's interesting too, because at the end of this fight and at the end of this lesson, he also says, this is how it goes when a guy forgets that wasn't determined enough. And I guess, you know, Stendhal's able to hear that and it kind of like breaks his brain and he's just like, ah, oh, I understand now. And he freaks out, jumps up and goes after uh, Knuckle Duster. And it looks like he's able to slice him up once or twice. And he's at, you can see like his hand is exploding with blood. And as Stendhal backs off, he's like up on the building and he takes a lick of this. And it's interesting because you would expect that Knuckle Duster would fall to the ground and be paralyzed. And he does seem to react, but he definitely doesn't fall to the ground. He seems to be relatively resistant to it almost. Yeah, it just says the word slump. And any other time that we've seen Stain lick somebody's blood, it's been like ragdoll to the ground pretty much. Yeah, for um, a couple minutes too, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think the max was like eight if you had type O blood or something yeah. like that. I, I don't remember which type. But um, I feel like maybe was, there was a type that... the longest. There, I feel like there might have been a type that didn't affect or didn't get affected. Maybe that's what a knuckle duster is. There was. I thought that there was a type that it affected the least, and that's whatever Midoriya's blood was, because he was able to recover quickly. Or, or was it uh, Todoroki's? One of those two had it. Yeah. I don't remember. I don't remember either. 
Um, but I mean, this is uh, this. It gets kind of dark because we start to see Stain. I mean, this is no longer Stendhal. This is Stain. He's like lost his mask. He's he appears to have lost some of his face. I guess when Knuckle Duster punched him, he must have like concaved his face in because it looks like it's just pouring blood and it. it's pretty nasty. Yeah, I think that what happens is that Knuckle Duster's punch just like obliterated his nose. Yeah. Um, but in the like, kind of at the end of this, he takes the knife and or he takes his sword and finishes the job and just straight cuts it off. And that explains why he doesn't have a nose. Like, it's not that I don't remember if we ever just see a giant hole in his face, but we do like when he's when you're looking at him from profile, you can tell that he's he's krilling it, right? Like, totally. krilling doesn't have a nose. And there's no when they're when you're looking at him from the side, there's no protrusion. And uh, we knew that about Stain, and now we see how he got that way. And not just how his face came to be rearranged, um, but how his philosophy broadens. In fact, he says that even more sinful than villains are those heroes who lack determination, yet still applaud themselves, these sham heroes. Um, so we see this is like Stain, colon, origins yeah. going on right here. <laughs> yep, and I, I like the fact that at the end of this, he says, I'm so very grateful from this lesson from an elder, like calling Knuckle Duster old. I don't know if it's intentionally supposed to be like rude, but it, the way I read it was really funny. Yeah. Then you have, uh, kind of before we get back to Stain cutting his nose off and having a conversation with Honey, uh, Pop Step comes up on the scene, and she's got a first aid kit, and she, of course she's running uh, straight to Koichi. Um and ends up stopping and uh, there, there's it's a little bit more of that weird tension between the two will they won't they um, there's obviously attraction there or feelings from pop step towards Koichi but he still is kind of a little clueless so um, that that continues on here uh, so just a brief little aside there before we get to stain who's standing in front of this mirror and um, before he actually cuts his nose off honey is in the room and she starts talking to him, then he just tells her to shut up and throws a knife, and it just goes straight into her eye socket. Yeah, and I felt really dumb, because I'm reading through my notes, and I, <laughs> I just an insider here, I, so I, I wrote that he threw a knife into her beehole, and then I was like, uh... Her beehole. Yeah, I mean, that's what it is. <laughs> that's what we're calling it from now on, though. That's great. Her beehole. And so, I yeah, for it, sure it, thought it that he a killed sound. her. I mean, it, yeah. it like she thuds and then hits the ground. And so I, I definitely thought he killed her. And this is when he starts scraping his face off, and they had to write that out for some reason. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, whisk, whisk, scrape, and scrape, and drip, drip, and splat, and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, no mask. As he not slices his nose off. Gosh, this yeah, dude, he's got some gross. serious, serious problems. And like him walking down that hallway with his bloody hand up against the wall, and he's like mumbling all that crazy stuff to himself. Yeah. It's great. I'm glad that he's back. I'm cu- and and we don't. I'm curious to see if he stays around, sticks around yeah. at all. I don't know I because so. we know how his story ends, and the vigilantes aren't really a part of that. So I don't know if he revisits them before he starts making his presence known uh, more broadly in the My Hero proper stuff. I'll be so. curious to see. Yeah, I hope so. But then there's this weird thing that happens where Queen Bee wakes up and she pulls that knife out of her face and it's got bees hanging off the end of it. And that's just gross. And the word they used for whenever they pull the knife out is like schlock. And it's just, it's got that nasty goo coming off of it. It's gross, man. <laughs> right. All right. Well, that brings us to the end uh, of that chapter and also volume two of the manga. Um, that is the end 
of volume two, and in order for us to talk about our last chapter, I have to crack open a volume three of My Hero Vigilantes. Yeah, I noticed that because at the beginning there was just kind of a quick like, hey, we're catching you up here, you know? Uh, so they recap a whole bunch of stuff at the beginning of this as far as like who the characters are and, uh, you know, just making sure that you're kind of aware of what has been going on. At least that was at the beginning of my book. Yeah. And then it starts with Koichi in school sleeping, which, I mean, can you blame him? It's very Peter Parker-esque, you know, like he's in school full-time and he's a hero full-time, so. Yeah, and this this chapter is very, very short. It's called Senpai, um, and he has somebody approach him, a very attractive-looking uh, young lady who uh, turns out is an upperclassman, and she sees that Koichi has taken this class called Intro to Hero Sociology. And she starts making all these recommendations on how he might go about studying and what what parts he does need to read, doesn't need to read. Maybe he's better off finding an older, you know, an upperclassman. And, uh, you know, he's just like, ah, you know, I don't really study in a group. Um, So then she's just like, well, let me help you out. Yeah, and they uh, they end up going back to his house, and it's really great because there's a panel where she's like, oh, they called it a penthouse? You totally got bamboozled by their real estate office. And he's kind of flirting with her. They're, you know, they're having fun. And we see that Pop Step is in the, um, I, I want to say apartment, but I know it's not an apartment. She's in his house, which it's yeah. kind of messed up that like Knuckle Duster and Pop Step just use his house openly, freely, don't even think twice about it. Yeah, I mean, they're basically... Um you know, he needs to claim them on his taxes Absolutely. next next year. I mean, he's feeding them and they're cleaning up after him because he doesn't even know she's there. She like goes and hides in the corner. He walks in, to try and clean up real quick, hides his suit. So that way she doesn't know that he is the crawler, uh, even though she was aware of his weird, like uh, perverted run in with those three brothers because she mentioned something about it. Yeah, he stashes his suit and then cleans up after Knuckle Duster, who left a bunch of like beer and looks like fast food, something like that. Yeah. Uh, and he's throwing it all on top of Pop Step in the closet. Yeah, which is pretty great. Um, and then so they get into this discussion um, about hero sociology. And a lot of this stuff is really interesting. Yeah, and I think it's uh, part of it is in here just to kind of get us to revisit what, what it is that we're already only, you know, 12 chapters into this manga taking for granted, which is the role of vigilantism um, inside of the hero system in this world. Um, so I thought that that was really cool where it's just like, yeah, you've grown comfortable with this, but let's let's raise some questions about it again, um, where they keep this, I mean, really, truly, morally gray topic, morally gray, where they don't just assume that you're just like, yeah, everything that they do is fine. Um, so she starts talking about how you can kind of break... Uh, or you can, she starts talking about how you move... What, what does she call this? Chapter three, the... Discord between vigilantism and the official hero licensing system. Um, and so she starts talking about how pro heroes came onto the scene and they actually evolved from vigilantes. Um, but then you still have vigilantes, so that creates this tension within the system. And it was all really fascinating stuff. Yeah, and I was really interested to find out that the first place that had the, uh, I guess, like a system in place for pro heroes was Rhode Island. And she asks him, like, well, you know, how many heroes do you or how many vigilantes do you think they had? There were 189. But how many of them actually turned into professional heroes? And he says something like, I'd guess about half. 
And she says that there are only seven out of 189 that became major heroes. The rest were mostly classified as villains for the illegal use of their quirk, which is really interesting. I don't, I mean, if they had been vigilantes beforehand, I'd be really shocked to hear that they didn't want to become heroes and be recognized for their work, you know? Yeah, and she says that uh, the true goal of the licensing system was not to endorse heroes, but to define what constitutes a villain. Right. And so to divide those using their quirks into heroes and villains and to put limitations on the latter. So she says just one part of the plan to regulate quirks on the societal level, but that still creates issues for people who don't get that licensing exam but want to do what they believe to be heroic, that being the vigilantes. And she also talks about how this it also kind of infringes on several of their like rights to bear arms and the right to self-determination. So there's this huge concern over public safety, which led to a who watches the watcher situation, which is really reminiscent of the Watchmen, obviously with that phrase. Uh, but it is very similar in this idea that like there are these heroes out there, but who is really monitoring them? I mean, we know that Endeavor went years and years abusing his family and he was still in the top 10 heroes and no one seemed to do anything about it. So like, is that okay? Is it okay that Endeavor is the number one hero? And I mean, we know he's making up for things now, but he's got a lot to atone for. Yeah. And she says that now there's this wary monitoring going on where the heroes watch the vigilantes, keep an eye on them. But the vigilantes are also doing the same thing to the heroes because they, they have fewer strictures. Um, but they understand that they're still outside of what is considered to be the law. And so it's like she calls it a casual loop or a causal loop rather, um, where, you know, you have this, there's, there is a system in place for who watches the watchers, but it's kind of in this legally gray area, (laughs) you know? So, uh, and then she's just like, yeah, that should be enough to get you to pass your quiz. That should be enough. (laughs) Um, But it was cool to kind of have that language, it, all that stuff kind of spelled out, especially the part where it says that the, the the hero licensing came not right at the advent of quirks, but because people with quirks became vigilantes. And so they the vigilantes, the presence of vigilantes created the need for hero licensing, and then that had issues of its own that vigilantism seems to solve in some part. Yeah, it's all a very complex, interesting system. Um, at and it's funny how she kind of leads into this because afterwards she explains all that. She's just like, all right, well, that's the end of chapter three. And then she says, well, don't breathe easy because we've got an extra credit problem. And it turns out that uh, she is, in fact, studying, and it's her thesis, on what the defining aspect was between what a hero and a villain was from, the, I guess, the government's perspective. And, you know, Koichi's like, well, I, I don't know, I guess having a mind for justice or respecting the law. And she's like, well, it's actually a secret. And the only way you're going to find out is if you help me by help, like finishing my thesis, which is on the vigilantes that have been popping up. And so he's immediately freaking out. Like, you got to be kidding me. (laughs) Yeah, he tries to discourage her. He's like, isn't it kind of dangerous to go chasing after people who fight villains? And then she's like, but that's where my new bodyguard gets to shine. (laughs) Yeah. And so he agrees to show up and be her bodyguard on Saturday at 10. Which, I mean, I I don't know that they have scheduled... posts where you know one of the three of them like kind of goes around the city but i just can you imagine if he's having to bodyguard and kind of do like a walkabout in the same uh, hour or something and this also creates that weird situation that everybody has seen in some superhero movie where the person that 
that wants to meet the superhero has but doesn't know it. Sure. And then there's usually a scene where that whoever that superhero is is trying to juggle being the person that their friend that they're already acquainted with and also the superhero that they haven't met. And so they, you know, sometimes they like uh, do real fast changes or make up these really lame excuses. I mean, it's the Spider-Man thing all over again sometimes, you know. Although there was a really funny uh, Justice League episode. There's an old cartoon where the Flash and Lex Luthor switch bodies and Lex Luthor's in the bathroom and he's like, ah, yes, the Flash. I'll finally find out your identity. And he pulls his mask off and he looks in the mirror and goes, I have no idea who you are. (laughs) And that always cracked me up. So then we end up with this other cool little uh, wrinkle of detail inside of this world, oh, which yeah. is she goes home. This blew my mind. Yeah. And we learn that her name is Mikado Sukauchi or Sukoichi. Um, the, and if, if you listen to this podcast at all, then you know that that is also the name of the detective whose name we butcher constantly all the time. Apparently they're siblings and they live together. Yeah, which really just blew my mind. And it, it turns out that he also does not want her going after villains or getting involved. He doesn't even want her going after heroes because she's trying to convince him to set up an interview with someone like a famous hero. And she kind of has this idea that he has a connection with like All Might or someone and uh sukoichi as we call him or her older brother is like ah come on you know like drop it and then he he says like i don't want you getting closer to heroes because then i know you you'll get closer to villains and i don't want you around them because they're bad people so he's trying to protect his sister and she just wants to not have an argument about it but debate him and she says you know heroes and villains are two sides of the same coin and she starts going into it and he's like look i'm not up for a debate right now and anyways there's no way i can match you in a war of words so it, it it seems like they've just got a really great relationship. Yeah, and um, he's it, uh, they're they're coming at the same problem with she ha- she has a certain open mindedness to the concept of vigilantes, and he seems very much more set in his understanding um, of vigilantes and villains. Um, and also heroes. I think he has a more concrete idea or or opinion, a more formulated opinion on those things and she's still in the process of discovery and uh formulating not uh you know a formulated thing but in the process of formulating um which is it's pretty neat and i like i like that that relationship uh that that now there's that extra connection because we've always pretty we've been pretty pretty up on suko uh, sukoichi we we like him yeah no definitely Plus, his best friend is Catman. so well i thought his best friend was all might he just works with the Catman. Yeah, I mean, listen, headcanon, him and uh, what's that cat's name? Aria, something, Sansa, Sansa. I think it's Sansa, it. yeah. Um, so that's pretty great. And then, uh, of course, we we get this last little scene where Popstep is, um, she's furious uh, about the way that Suko Ichi treated her. She's like, "Ain't you ever heard of personal space about not crossing lines and stuff like that?" <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is great. And and at the same time, we've got Koichi sitting up front where he's like copying Sukoichi's notes. Yeah. Well, that's it. That's that's uh, takes us through the twelfth chapter of Vigilantes, um, and we decided at the end of last episode that we were going to cast Dobby this week. Yeah, I'm for excited. Our for live one. casting movie. I'm excited. Who did you cast? I want to know. I cast a guy named Dylan O'Brien. Hmm. Um, yeah, I guy. don't know if you watched any of the like Maze Runner movies. He was one of the leads in that. I um, did watch the I first watched, one. I liked that movie a lot. 
I never read the books or watched the movies, so that's not what I knew him from. I just found that out. I saw him in American Assassin, also starring Michael Keaton. Okay. Um, he plays kind of the main character in that movie, and he's a little on the old side, but Dobby, I think, is, I mean, he's older. I picture him like teens. late 20s, early 30s. Yeah, this guy, he's 28, yeah. so, um, and he still looks still looks pretty young, Yeah. Um, and he was really good in American Assassin. I was super impressed with him. In fact, the thought that I had, I watched American Assassin on Netflix like maybe three weeks ago, um, and while I was watching him, um, the thought that came to my brain was, how have I, I have no idea who this guy is, and I feel like I should, because he, he was just an impressive in that role to me, hmm. um, so I had to look up his name. Um, to to cast him as Dobby. I like that. I like that. So I went with um, Elijah Wood, but specifically Elijah Wood from Sin City, because there's something about that creepy character, man, that just, I don't know. I was uh, like, I could see that being Dobby. Okay. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, I like it though. I don't know. That, there's something. Cause he, he plays the like silent crazy slasher guy in that movie, doesn't he? Uh, he is a little bit more silent. Yeah. But I mean, I think Dobby is a little, I, I don't want to say maniac-ish, but he is kind of on that silent side where he doesn't really speak up until he needs to. Yeah. So I don't know. Ooh, I, that's an interesting I, cast. I had messaged you. The only problem I have with it is that Elijah Wood's going to have to be like on stilts because I think I'm pretty sure Dobby's really tall. At least I get the feeling he's taller and I don't, I don't know that Elijah Wood could fit that part. True. Elijah Wood is pretty short. But otherwise, I, 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 yeah, I don't correct. know. I, I see that, especially with the patchwork face. It'd be pretty cool. Let's um let's do Shigaraki next week. Oh yeah, that's a good one. We haven't done Shigaraki, I guess, have we? Mm-mm. I mean, it's it's going to be an interesting cast because you're you're talking about a guy who has a hand on his face most of the, most time. Of the time. Yeah. Um, but I think you could have some fun with just the character behind that hand. Um, somebody that can be kind of creepy. Um, I, I think I have an idea. I'm going to sit on it a little bit. Um, and and look this guy up a little bit more. It's a hard one. I don't have any real good thoughts, but yeah, okay, cool. Well, Shigaraki it is for next week then, man. Shigaraki it is. And um, we will continue with Vigilantes, and that, that we will cover then chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16. Mm-hmm. Works for me. Um, yep, that works. Awesome. Well, we'll see you guys next week. See you guys. Almighty Podcast is brought to you by the Back Patio Network. You can follow us on Twitter at AlmightyPod or follow at BackPatioNet for all network news. If you enjoyed what you heard, go check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash BackPatioNetwork. You can help support the network, get access to early episodes, and lots of other great stuff. If you want to get to know us, come hang out in our Discord channel. We have lots of fun and would love to have you in there. My name is Adam, and you can follow me on Twitter at TheRealSimso, S-I-M-S-O.